Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Honest to goodness, I don't know why I've waited this long to get into some of these types of number shows, but that's generally what this week is going to be. With some slight tweaks to it because uh, we did have all of our series end this last weekend. I thought one of them was going to wait until Monday to have a Game 7, but they both happened yesterday. And the Conference Finals are now set. The big surprise has to be Dallas upending Phoenix. 123-90 to in Phoenix. And look, I know Luka Doncic is awesome. There's no doubting that. Uh, Phoenix was really, really good this year. And Dallas solved them those last two games. Just solved them. Didn't let the Suns get anything going at all offensively. And, I mean, when you look at the personnel on that Dallas side, to think that a team led by Luka Doncic, Spencer Dinwiddie, and Jalen Brunson is just suffocating teams defensively is incredible. And... We probably need to show a little more respect to Jason Kidd, of all head coaches. Having the right assistant coaches is also a big deal, but damn, he was really not good in his first go-round. And, I mean, it, you know, he was good at making friendships with, with players who all respected him, and, and Kidd, one of the best point guards of all time. And look, as a former Cal grad, I probably should have been like, yes, rah-rah, but... I was petrified of that dude when he came aboard as a Lakers assistant coach and then they won a championship. And now, I, I don't know, man. This, like, this caught me by surprise. Not just this series, but just how good the jump they've made defensively is crazy. You need buy-in, obviously, and you need the pieces that can do it. But like, this isn't a team built out of a ton of outstanding defensive players. They're just... They're doing th- they're they're doing things at the right time, the right way, and they're guarding people. Effort, intellect, all that stuff come together. So, Dallas, Golden State, Western Conference Finals, Heat, Celtics, Eastern Conference Finals. And we kind of have to do an NBA series prices redux uh, because we did a lot of that stuff on Friday and... Well, I remember I was talking about how maybe if you had waited to get on Boston, that would have been that would have been the time. I can't believe they actually came back and won it. But that one turned out to be a really fun series to bet because we got Milwaukee at an underdog price and could have gotten Boston a very cheap favorite price. And if you were more patient, you could have gotten them even at an underdog price. That one worked out great. Uh, I didn't have the stones to do anything with Dallas, but then they came through, obviously. Uh, Eastern Conference Finals. Heat, underdogs to the Celtics, despite home court advantage, Boston minus 175. The team getting respect has now flipped. And honestly, look, I'll be frank with you guys. I thought Milwaukee was going to win that series. They were up 3-2, to two, so I felt pretty confident about where that was sitting. But this is why you, this is why you take guaranteed money when you can. It's a perfect lesson. I thought Milwaukee was going to win, but once I was able to create a middle, I think it was after game three... One at game three? 
I can't remember. I think it was after game three. It was Milwaukee up three, two to one after game three, and Boston was like a minus one twenty-five after we got Milwaukee at plus one seventy something to start that series. That sound right? So we created a middle of about fifty bucks. That's why you take those fifty bucks. Now, admittedly, if we had been more patient, but that's the thing, though. Milwaukee could have very easily just gone on and won that series, and all of that would have been for naught. The waiting, whatever. We didn't know it was going to get to be Milwaukee up three to two, and then the Boston price was going to be, were they a plus two hundred underdog at that point, going back to Milwaukee? So yeah, we could have had hundred to win one seventy on Milwaukee and hundred to win two hundred on Boston, which creates a much larger middle. But we didn't wait that long, so you know whatever. Uh, but again, this way, no matter who you thought was going to win the series, we had set it up where we could win money. That's why you do it that way. This one, I think we might be able to find the same path. I personally don't know who's going to win the series. We just found that Marcus Smart has a midfoot sprain, and he's questionable for game one. I don't know how big of a difference that makes. He's been good for them. Uh, yeah, he was defensive player of the year, but really, that's a team-wide thing. Boston defensively has just been outstanding. Time Lord is going to be more important in this series, dealing with Bam Adebayo after Milwaukee didn't really have a center that was going to go do stuff. Boston's going to have a good game plan. Miami's a very different team than Milwaukee. Miami has Jimmy Butler and then just a crap ton of floor spacers. Tyler Hero is also a guy that can create. Adebayo is a very different kind of internal player. Miami has a different way of playing defense. Milwaukee is just going to dare you to shoot a thousand three pointers, and you know Boston hit them in the last couple of ball games. What Grant Williams had like ninety five threes in that last ball game. Uh, this is a different test, and it's a different test for Miami too. They just had to deal with Joel Embiid as the force, and now they're going to pivot and deal with a team where you know Boston they'll take threes if they can. There's going to be more ISO type stuff from wings as opposed to a big man. They don't have a James Harden that they can just push out to the perimeter and then kind of not worry about very much. Boston's going to be quicker. But more than anything, they're going to be seeing a better defense. On paper, this feels like a series that's going to be very low scoring. Um, we'll see. It starts on Tuesday. Game one's on Tuesday. Miami's favored by two. We'll break that down on tomorrow's podcast. Total is just 204, by the way, for that ballgame. But this is what I'm looking at. Um... Boston's going to be gassed. We've seen this before. Teams that go seven games do tend to have some issues in the first game of a following series. They have a little bit of time off, but not much. Just today, I think. Right? Losing track of days here. Yeah, that's a quick, quick turnaround. And to go, uh, that's a home game seven, grueling series. Miami only had to go six. I know it's not a huge difference, but Miami wrapped theirs up on Thursday. And you say, what about rust versus rest kind of thing? Uh, I think every, pretty much everybody in the playoffs will take three or four days of rest and prep time as opposed to just having to blitz into the next one. You remember in the bubble, they didn't even have to travel? The teams that went from a game seven, Denver went into their next series and then just got smoked in game ones because they had nothing in the tank. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Boo, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. 
Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. I think we have a fantastic opportunity, which, by the way, uh, again, pointing out sort of the, the weirdness of this, Miami is favored in game one by two points, and they are a si- sizable but medium-sized underdog in a series. So something is not lining up here. If you wanted to hedge yourself, you could. I think Miami at plus 150 is a great way to start betting this series. I think they've got a really good shot to win game one because Boston's going to be cooked. Then Boston's probably going to have a pretty good shot to come back and win game two, and we may once again have an opportunity to dive into a middling situation. Call it hedging, arbitrage, whatever. I love the underdog here. The other series is, and by the way, I don't know who's going to win that Celtics Heat series because I thought this was going to be Heat Bucks, and I figured the Bucks would get by them because uh, they've kind of dealt with that type of defense before. Boston was a little bit of a different animal. Um I have no idea what's going to happen in this series. I think it's really evenly matched. Uh, I I probably would go Boston, but it's going to be a long one, and Boston does not have home court in this series, even though they did in the last one. Teams, I think, starting to feel like maybe they should have played for the one or the two seed in that Eastern Conference. Not out west, apparently. Who needs it? The uh, other series, Mavericks are plus 200 underdog in Golden State. That one starts on Wednesday, so they uh, Mavs have a little bit more time off after their road win in Phoenix, but it, it's the same issue here. Warriors were able to finish things off in six. They had plenty of time to rest. I think they, they uh, finalized their series on Friday, so it's that same thing Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, four days off completely before... Uh, They open up on Wednesday, and they were home when they beat Memphis. They didn't even have to travel. They're just hanging out. Got to figure they were probably game planning for the Suns, so they got to kind of go back to the drawing board. But you figured the assistants, the front office, whatever, they've been kind of come up with game plans no matter who comes out of the other series. That's their job. What do we do if we move on? So they're working on it now. But regardless, uh, it's not like Dallas could spend a bunch of time prepping for Golden State while they were trying to get by Phoenix. I think the Warriors probably win game one of that series for almost the same reason that I believe the Heat win game one of the other one. A team coming off a seven-game series is just gonna is in a very tough spot. So this one doesn't have quite the same hedging opportunity. If you like the Warriors, this is one of the cheapest prices you're going to get them at, probably for the series. I personally don't think that they're just going to run away with it. I haven't been that overly impressed with Golden State so far. They had Denver, uh, which was Jokic against the universe, and, you know, they made pretty quick work of them, but uh, Jokic almost, I mean, he got one game. And then they had Memphis, who uh, they didn't have jaw for the end of that series. 
which I don't know how that one changes. I would assume it's a little bit different if John Morant is in the lineup. And Memphis took them pretty far even without it. Grizzlies, to be fair, were kind of a bad matchup for the Warriors. Dallas doesn't have quite that same velocity to everything they do, but they're also really, really good defensively, as we just saw. Shut down the Suns late in that series after they got picked apart, so they made the adjustments. They did what they had to do, and this is going to be a damn good test for a Warriors team that bounces between these massive offensive explosions and some slightly lower-scoring games. Dallas is going to want to slow this thing to a halt. I don't think they're going to be able to pull that off in Game 1. I just think they're going to be too tired. And you'll see every team, everybody kind of throw their fastball. Warriors fastball is going to be better than a tired Dallas one. So Warriors probably win Game 1. Series price probably moves up from minus 250 to like minus 325 or 350. I think there's an expectation the Warriors win, the, win game one, so it probably doesn't move all that much. If the Warriors win game two, that would be where you could, I think, consider a Dallas wager because they'll be probably a plus 500, 4 or 500 underdog at that point, maybe four. And then who knows, maybe they come back, you, you're able to pick the Warriors off at a lower price. If this thing goes back to Golden State tied 2-2, two, two, then maybe you get the Warriors at, you know, minus 200 or something like that. So there is a path to maybe stealing some sort of middling opportunity here. I don't think that I really like it all that much, but your path is Warriors now, which, ugh, minus 250. Let's say you put 25 bucks on that to win 10. Now you're basically just hoping that the Mavericks get to, like, plus 300 if they're down 0-2 or anything higher than that, and you bet it, and you can go 10 bucks on Dallas or 8 bucks on Dallas or something like that to win a little bit more than $25, like 27 28 and you've created a middle of like 3 or 4 bucks basically. Or, you know, if you want to do $100 as your unit, you've created a middle of uh, $25 or $35, something like that. So it's not overwhelming, and you're sort of hoping, and I also don't really want that Warriors money just dangling out there, this bet relies on Golden State winning game one. If they don't, the whole thing gets thrown out of whack, and then you're just trying to figure out how to get off of a wager, which kind of sucks. Uh, but if you really want to have something on it, small on the Warriors here to start it at minus 250 because it's really chalky, and then you hope the Warriors win game one at least because that probably gets you to basically buying off a bet. Dallas probably goes up to like plus 240 on the series after losing game one. I don't think it moves very much, the more I think about it. Um... And if, they, if the Warriors win two in a row, not only do you have a good bet at that point, but you could also hedge off. Did I say this is Fantasy NBA Today? I uh, can't remember. It's Fantasy NBA Today. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Monday, uh, offseason show 26. We rumble along. I'm your host, Dan Bespers, at Dan Bespers on Twitter, of course. Ethos Fantasy BK. Uh, is the the basketball. Then that one's got news coming fast and furious left and right. Ethos Fantasy BB is the baseball feed. Ethos Fantasy FB is the football feed. Those guys are humming right now, man. The football podcast today, uh, JP dropped three wide-out sleepers on May 16th. You guys got to get in on that. Don't wait, man. This is up-and-coming superstar type of stuff. Get in at the ground floor. J.P. Sticko, J.P. S-T-I-C-C-O, 
Or again, you can follow uh, Ethos Fantasy FB, and then you'll find JP through that one as well. Either way, just go do it. Come on. I mean, there's still a couple thousand of you listening to this show in the off season. You crazy degenerates. I love you. But uh, go. Yeah. I mean, we got we got three sports now, on, especially on the pod side, and then more football content is coming right down the pike. Love those guys. They're working their butts off, and uh, they're gonna be famous one day. I'm telling you right now. Definition of famous, uh, niche famous. <laughs> like I guess this this show. I guess same same kind of thing. Anyway, um, so here's what I want to do today. Over the weekend, I spent a bunch of time trying to figure out how I wanted to maneuver this podcast. We still have 25 teams to break down. We haven't gone through the how did Yahoo do portion of the proceedings, and that's going to be a lot harder, unfortunately, because those buttholes um, removed or fixed their preseason ranks, which is just such hot garbage. Like, um, you know, Trey Young is at seven now. Um, Rudy Gobert's preseason rank is listed as 11. That. Beep that. That is, that is bull. That is absolute bull. So that's, by the way, that's some shyster stuff right there. If you want to know where guys were were pre-ranked, you go to ADPs because that's basically where guys ended up getting drafted. Rudy Gobert got drafted, on average, in Yahoo Leagues, around pick 24, end of the second round. We talked about him at great length, and now all of a sudden his pre-rank is 11? Get out of here with that crap. So Yahoo's lying to you now. DeMar DeRozan's preseason rank is now listed as 12. Bull. Bull. He was not number 12. He was in the 40s and 50s. Luka Doncic at 14? He was three. He was behind Jokic and Curry to start the year, if I remember. He might have even been in front of Curry. I think Jokic might have even been two. Bull. So... I have a rant on that coming that's even more substantial than the one that just happened. With that in mind, uh, I have to do a whole bunch of reconfiguring on our how-did-they-do kind of thing because, I mean, this is really bad. Like, this is this is really sleazy and underhanded for Yahoo to try to move their picks around to more to better reflect where guys ended up. Like, they're trying to look better, and that's crummy. Because it's important for our research to know how they actually had guys ranked. And this isn't it. Like, they did fine, you know? There's nothing to be embarrassed about. We all miss. But to cover it up like that and to just change them in the middle of the season, brutal. So we can't do that same research. I, we'll have to work off ADPs. Um, so that's going to totally change the way I, I put together my Excel spreadsheet to then do whatever we do, a couple weeks of podcasts on that, it's actually really important to know going into next year. So uh, since I'm in this mode of wanting to lay into someone, I figured the best person to lay into is me. We're going to lay into me. So today, we begin our journey backwards in time to the Dan Vespers Old Man Squad of the 2021-2022 NBA season. How did I do? 
And the answer is, as per usual, eh, fine. <laughs> I'd love to come on here and say that it was just, you know, crushing after crushing after crushing after crushing. Um, but there are hits. There are misses. And at the end of it all, you look to see what landed. And unfortunately, the beginning of the Dan Bespris old man squad was riddled with injury problems. I hate it as much as you guys do, but I'm going to wear it because this is what happened. The Dan Bespris old man squad really liked Jimmy Butler as a guy on the turn. And, you know, on a per-game basis, that turned out to be a perfectly reasonable grab. He was he ended at number 15 per game after having a bunch of games in there where he was just sort of, like, not himself. Remember, he started the year, and he was number four or five on a per-game basis. He and Paul George were both up there. And then, unfortunately, Butler missed 25 games. So that knocked him down the board a little bit, and he finished at number 32. Another guy that I liked in the relatively early going was Bam Adebayo who mostly was a guy we were drafting based on the fact that he never misses any games. And then he missed 26 ball games. He was number 38 on a per-game basis, which still wasn't good, mind you, but he was on his way up. You might recall he was like in the 50 to 60 range before his injury, and then after it, he was excellent. But there wasn't enough games there to make up for a time lost. So, bam, ended up as a big miss. Luckily, the third player on our uh, Dan Vespers Old Man squad <sighs> didn't completely disappoint, and that was Rudy Gobert, uh, who was number 23 per game and played in basically the exact league average number of games and finished at number 23. Phew! Everything was golden there, by the way. Remember, he did miss some time kind of late in the season with a couple of things, or he was really cruising along before that. Um, so that one was, I don't know, call it a big hit or anything, but he got to his ADP, and in the first couple rounds, that's generally good enough. You find find someone that beats it even better, but we'll take it. Uh, Michael Porter Jr. Okay, now, I don't. I still have no idea how he ended up on this list because he's not at all... Um, a kind of guy that typically ends up on a Dan Vespers old man squad. This is a lesson for me in not getting talked into a guy. I got talked into Michael Porter Jr. I feel bad about it. I won't let it happen again. That's my promise to you there. That type of thing. It's just not me. He was a guy who had his numbers inflated by a lack of Jamal Murray the previous year. He's someone that had come into the league with massive injury risk. Now, it sucks that they didn't disclose that he was dealing with stuff because that certainly would have changed our approach to it, but he was basically showing us his maximum production at the end of the previous season, and then he ended up getting drafted too early. His ADP was 30 when I put together the Dan Vespers old man squad, and then he got pushed all the way up to about 24 by the time most of us were drafting, some places as early as 20, and that just wasn't going to do. Things did get a little bit better after that point. Not perfect, but a little bit better because injury did creep in, and that's always going to be a problem with guys that are a tiny bit older. Uh, but Chris Paul, who had an ADP in the 30s, missed a bunch of time 
uh, but not nearly as much as it could have been. He finished at number 20 by totals and uh, ever so slightly better than that by averages at number 19. Huzzah. Okay, we got one there. Terrific. Um, Drew Holiday was someone that I was expecting to fade going into this year, and then he just fell over and over and over again, just kept falling. Like, I figured that he was going to have a tough season coming off of the championship run, but his ADP ended up being 42, and I thought, well, this is too freaking late. He ended up at number 33 on a per-game basis, played in about one game more than league average, and so he was number 29 by totals. There's another hit. Uh, Tobias Harris was pretty much right on where he needed to be. He was not as healthy as usual. His per-game production was down, but his health always makes up for it. He played in 73 out of their 82 ball games in the regular season. He finished at 43. His ADP was in the mid-40s, so that one worked out fine again. I expected him to be higher than that, so I don't know that I can give myself, like, the pat on the head. By the way, I had Chris Paul ranked at number 19 on the Dan Vespers Old Man Squad, and he finished at number 19, so that was pretty cool. Always like to see that one go right. Um, Drew Holiday, I had at number 27. What did I just say? He was 29, so pretty close there as well. Tobias Harris, I thought he was going to be in the 40s per game, plus the durability thing, so that would have pushed him into the 20s by totals. Instead, he was in the 60s per game, plus durability, it pushed him into the 40s by total. So I didn't really get that one right, but he ended up as a reasonable, very reasonable own band squad pick in the late fourth, early fifth round. Here's another miss. Uh, Clint Capella. I don't, I don't know what the, happened to Capella this year. We saw what he was supposed to be for about a week and a half in the playoffs, and it wasn't like he was a complete disaster. He was number 65 by totals, which is like, you know, meh, but only 1.3 blocks per game. That's where things really came apart for him this year. Rebounds were also down, still okay at 11.8, but not where we wanted them to be. Um, And he was actually, believe it or not, like relatively durable. He played in 74 games this season, which I think might surprise some people. So that meant he jumped up to number 44 by totals. I thought he was going to be in the 30s by totals, so I was off by a round there. But he did end up being basically... A, an ADP match. So he wasn't a win, he wasn't a loss. He falls into that category with Tobias Harris that we just talked about a moment ago. Uh, I had Rashawn Holmes on this list, and unfortunately that goes down as a huge miss, although he started the year way out ahead of his ADP. And then he had the eye thing, and then he had the death in the family, and then they brought in Demonis Sabonis, and that one just completely came apart at the, at the seams. So, you know, unforeseen type of deal sucks, but you got to take the hit. I put OG Ananobi on the Dan Vespers Old Man Squad board as well. Um, but this one, this was on like the first draft, and I felt like his ADP ended up too high. You guys rem might remember, so I'm going over the, the, the Old Man Squad that I put out, the first one that dropped, and this was when Ananobi's ADP was 51, but... He basically wasn't going at 51 anywhere. He ended up going in the late 30s by the time most of us had our drafts. And at that point, I was doing podcasts telling people that he was going too early because I thought his totals rank was going to be late 30s. And even that was way off because he spent most of this year hurt. Um, so this one's a weird one. I, I'm actually sort of just not counting it because uh, he kind of wasn't supposed to be there by the time actual ADPs dropped. And we'll just move on to the next guy. 
JJJ had an ADP of 53. Um, he was one of those ones where uh, he was actually one of my favorite plays on the board this year. Um, he ended number 14 by totals. Per game mark was uh, back of that, obviously, but uh, 78 games played. He ended up as one of the biggest hits in the middle rounds, and I'm really happy about that one. He was somebody that I didn't really talk about on the podcast until Jonas Nader was on the show. And at that point, I said, look, like, I'll tell you guys now, I really like him this year uh, as a post-type guy because he's soured everybody. This is why we did a show last week where I talked about not having a don't draft list. JJJ would have been just the, the type of guy to end up on a lot of teams do not draft boards because he was only supposed to miss a month with the meniscus thing, and then he missed the whole damn season. Just until the very end, we got to see just enough JJJ at the end of last year to know that when he got back up to 28, 29 minutes a game, he was a top 40 play easily. Now, his shot wasn't really falling this year. He shot 41.5% from the field and still had a fantastic fantasy season. Played just 27 minutes per game, which was maybe a hair lower than expected. Anybody that thought he was going to go for like 33 minutes a game, they haven't seen his foul issues or how Memphis is going to be careful with certain guys. I thought he might get to near 30, so perhaps there's actually room for him to grow next year. Uh, but you're not going to have this kind of value on him again another time. This this season kind of used it up. Um, I'm not going to get through all the names I want to on today's show because I'm trying to keep these things to about a half an hour, and we're pushing it. But I do want to do one more. And Mikel Bridges was the next one, which is a fun one to do because after him we had we had a couple of misses for varying reasons, many of it injury-related, and then one of them just, like, completely off the mark in one of the guys I said. But Bridges was your prototypical, this guy's going to play. And he, dude played all 82 games again. I thought he'd miss a couple off their run to the finals last year. He is the captain of durability right now. And... You know, at the beginning of this year, he started slowly, got it going by midseason. His ADP was 61. I said his per-game rank was going to be 42. I thought he was going to sort of level off, and I thought his totals rank would be 33 because I figured, you know, he'd miss a couple of games. But as it turned out, I didn't give his durability even enough credit. His per-game was 55, so that actually did kind of take a, a small step back. His steals were only at 1.2 this season, but his durability was better than expected. I had him ranked at 33 by totals, and he beat it. So that one was a nice win as well. We're going to put a pin in things for now. I do still have five more on the before 180p guys. We have four names on the risky roto plays. Remember that? And then the after 100 upside guys. Uh, we'll, have, we'll talk more about that tomorrow, the next day. We'll see how far we get each day. I'm in no huge rush. It's the offseason, damn it. But I will say this. There are going to be more misses than hits once you get into the later part, and that's just the nature of the beast. I am, however, extremely annoyed at Bam Adebayo. Of all the stuff on this board, Bam and Michael Porter Jr. are the two that pissed me off the most because I knew Jimmy Butler wasn't going to play in more than about 67, 68 games, and then he missed an extra dozen. Like, that's a risk you take, and you're picking on the turn, so you have to be a little bit more care uh, freewheeling. But Bam... You know, even if the per game was down, we were counting on him playing 73 or more games. And so that one really hurt. And then Michael Porter Jr., he wasn't on my board. He wasn't. 
It one guy gets me every year. I don't know. I never know who it's going to be going into it, but this year it was MPJ. I had no intention of having him on any of my boards, and then he ended up on my boards. These other misses, I'll wear it. Jimmy Butler more injured than we expected. Um, Rashawn Holmes, weird stuff happened. I'm going to get into some other names tomorrow, uh, like Derek White traded but wasn't as good as I expected even in San Antonio. Draymond Green was hurt. Kelly Olynyk didn't even really get to play in Detroit. I mean, that's just a miss. And that was on me. I handicapped it. I had him on my board. Miss. But MPJ handicapped it, wasn't on my board, kept reading stuff, added him to my board, and soiled himself. Ah, well. All right, have a great Monday, everybody. No basketball tonight. Tomorrow we'll talk more D-bombs. We'll break down the two playoff games. One playoff game, he says, while not bothering to edit. (laughs) I don't do editing. All right, we'll talk to you guys tomorrow. I'm Dan Bespers for Fantasy NBA Today. Later. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.